Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. And thank you to the elders for this invitation to share God's Word with you this morning. It's always a privilege to be able to do that. Um, As Bruce mentioned, my name is Lou. My full name is Louise Gibbon. I'm married to Alan over there, and um, we've been part of Common Ground since 2002. And I only remember that because it's as long as we've been married. And so we celebrate our 20 years of marriage this year and 20 years of being in this community. And it's been such a joy to be here. We're kind of like one of the antiques around here because we've been around for so long. And so appropriate maybe that we are helping in this series to unpack what is this community about? Who are we? And this is our This Is Us series. And it's a series where we've been looking at what does it mean to be in this community? What makes us us? Uh, You'll see that little DNA strand in in our design because we're looking at the DNA, what we're about, what's important to us. And so we're laying down some fresh foundations as we do that so that if you're new to us, you kind of understand what we value, what's important to us. And if you've been around, maybe like Al and I, it's a good reminder of some of the things that we value, some of the things that are important. And if you're a guest here today, then a special warm welcome to you. You've picked a great Sunday to be here because you're gonna get some good insight into the kind of community that God wants us to be. Because when you come to Christ, you don't just get saved to Christ, you get saved into a community and into a family. And so if this is where you're gonna come and connect and be part of family, today's gonna give you some good insight. One of the things we've realized is that it's not just about what we do, but it's about the kind of people we are becoming. God's far more interested in the kind of people that we are becoming in this journey. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about our vision statement. It says we're a Bible-loving, spirit-dependent, gospel-shaped people who are filling our city with the message, life, and fame of Jesus. And we do this by, there's this tagline, following Jesus. That's what makes us distinct. We're not just a group of like-minded people. No, we're a group of disciples who are following Jesus, being with Him, becoming like Him, doing what He calls us to do. And so those are the aspects of discipleship that we're gonna cover in the last three weeks of the series. Being with Jesus, which we've summed up in this word kind of presence. That's what I'm gonna talk about today. Next week, Jeff's gonna talk about becoming like Him, which is um, kind of formation. And then in the final week of the series, we're gonna look at doing what Jesus calls us to do, mission. And that's how we're gonna kind of close off the series. And you'll see from the topics that in the first three weeks, we focused on gospel, okay? The gospel at the heart of this community. And when we use that word gospel, it reflects a Greek word. And that Greek word means good news, momentous news. That's what the gospel is. And it's the good news of what God has done through Jesus in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. And remember back in week one, Ryan gave us that beautiful illustration, that Mustang car. And he said, the gospel is the engine. The gospel is the engine. It's at the heart of what we do. It's what powers us. It's um, what drives us, what gives us that sense of purpose and adventure. Because the gospel is this moment of responding to that good news, but then the gospel shapes us. And it's not just a moment, it's a lifetime of responding to the gospel, being shaped and influenced and um, kind of created in a gospel shape. And so that's what those first few weeks have been all about. So I wanna extend that metaphor today. If the gospel was the engine, today I'm gonna be looking at the fuel. Like what fuels us? And it's presence. That God's presence is the fuel that powers the engine. God's presence is the fuel powering that engine. 
And so enjoying God's presence, appreciating, accessing His presence, that is how we actually live our lives as Christ followers. You know, I don't know if you ever say to yourself, I say this all the time, oh, like I don't know if I've got what it takes. Following God is hard, I'm not sure I can do this. No, we don't have what it takes. We can't do it on our own. God Himself gives us the fuel to power us because God Himself is the fuel that powers us. And so as we enjoy His presence, what happens? We spend time with Him, we become more like Him. Formation happens. And then mission overflows from that, not out of duty or obligation, no, but because His presence is fueling us. We get to be in the presence of God. We get to be in the presence of God. (laughs) Just think about that for a moment. Us, ordinary people, we get to be in the presence of God, creator, majestic, holy, ruler, powerful one. We get to enjoy his presence. Two Fridays ago, I was privileged enough to attend the Founders Day Assembly of my alma mater, which is Pinelands High. Pinelands High turned 70 this year, and I'm a past pupil, I'm a past teacher, and now I'm a present parent. So I really wanted to go along and be part of this milestone moment. And then Anna came home and she told me who the guest speaker was. And she said, Mom, Carl Wastie is coming to speak to us. Now, I don't know if you know Carl Wastie, he's a radio presenter, he's on KFM. He hosts the Top 40 on a Saturday, that's like the soundtrack of our Saturday, and he hosts that afternoon show. And I spend a lot of time in the car in the afternoon lifting the kids, and so me and Carl, we like this. And so um, I actually even taught him for a brief spell while he was at um, Pinelands High. And um, it's my claim to fame. Um, So I was so interested. I was like, oh, I can't wait to see him and meet him and hear what he has to say. It's gonna be interesting because he is quite a figure. I don't know if you've ever seen him. Here's a picture of him. He has quite a presence with that mohawk. You just can't miss him. And so it was quite fascinating to, to watch how people responded to this like celebrity. The next pictures you'll see, people were shaking his hand, getting photos with him. These were the official ones, people were taking selfies. They were getting close, let's hear what he has to say. And it was amazing listening to him. He had some incredible things to say, so powerful, so motivating to those. He spoke specifically to the kids at the school. And I was thinking, aren't we just funny creatures? We get so excited about this local celebrity, about being close to them, about hearing what they have to say. We get so kind of caught up in that. And we can all tell the story of the most famous person we've ever met. You've got that person in your head right now. It's a great icebreaker question. Who's the most famous person you've met? And then you tell the story of how close you got and what they said and did you get their autograph? Did you get a photo? We get so caught up in that and then we take for granted we get to be in the presence of God, this ultimate celebrity, the ruler of the world, the creator, the holy one. We get to be in his presence. And so today I'm trusting that we're gonna have a fresh understanding, a fresh desire for God's presence. We're gonna explore what I mean by this concept of presence. And so I've broken down my message into three parts. They all begin with a P because we're dealing with presence. We're gonna look at the promise and privilege. We're gonna look at proximity. And then we're gonna look at practice. So let's start with the promise and the privilege because at the heart of today's message is this promise from God, this promise that His presence is with us. We're a people of God's presence. And that's what makes us his people. That's one of the markers. That's what differentiates us from other people. And so one of the main themes of the Bible is God's presence 
been made manifest, been made clear, evident, obvious with his people over time. And so we're gonna start by kind of looking at just, I'm, I've chosen just six aspects because we can't cover the whole Bible, okay? So from the Old Testament, we're gonna look at um, Eden, Exodus, and Tabernacle. And then we're gonna jump to the New Testament to look at Emmanuel, Spirit, and the new heaven and the new earth. And this is gonna show us this kind of theme of God wanting to presence himself with his people because that's what makes them his people, his presence. So we start in Eden, okay? Eden is this sanctuary, almost like a garden temple where, where God comes to dwell with, to be with Adam and Eve. And so if we read in Genesis 3, verse eight, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So we've got this picture here. God's come to the garden to walk with them in the cool of the day. He wants to be with them. And he calls out to Adam, where are you? I wanna be with you. Now you'll notice that he doesn't say to Adam, what have you done? Because remember this moment is just after Adam and Eve have sinned. But even in this moment of betrayal and sin and deception, God doesn't say to them, what have you done? No, he says, where are you? Because his longing is still to be with them. And I just wanna pause there for a moment because I think that some people might need to hear that this morning. That God isn't saying to you, what have you done? No, he's saying, where are you? Because I want to be with you. Maybe as a Christ follower, you've been hesitant, you've been holding back because you're aware of your sins, you're aware of the consequences. And so you think, oh no, there's too much of a barrier here. Maybe you've been like reluctant to come to God because you can't believe that he would accept all these shortcomings and failures. But God's saying, not what have you done? No, he's saying, where are you? <laughs> I wanna be close to you. And his longing is to be close to us. And so he makes a way for that to happen. And we're gonna unpack that as the morning goes on, how he does that in Jesus. So let's go to Exodus now. God's people being led out, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then into this wilderness. And while they are traveling, we see this amazing picture because God's presence is with them in such a, a tangible way. It, during the day, there is a pillar of cloud. And at night, there is a pillar of fire. That is God's presence with them. And Moses pleads with God. If we, pick it, if we read in Exodus 13, verse 16, he says, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Your presence sets us apart. God, you've gotta go with us. And so God gives them these beautiful physical reminders that he is with them. And then we see that Moses is instructed on Mount Sinai to build this tabernacle. Now tabernacle is this weird word, it's a bit old fashioned, we don't really use it nowadays, but it means a dwelling place, a residence. So Moses is told go and build this earthly kind of portable thing that is gonna contain the presence of God. And you're gonna carry that tabernacle with you and it's gonna remind you that Yahweh is with you. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. This, this amazing thing, this, this valuable presence of God actually being made 
kind of physical so that they have this reminder as they wander through the wilderness. Then as they enter the promised land, no, God is with us. And then later we see that the tabernacle is replaced by the temple. And 440 years later, the the temple is built in Jerusalem. Solomon builds that temple and that then replaces the tabernacle as the place where God's presence is experienced. And so in the Old Testament, we see God's presence is poured out on particular people in particular times in particular ways. But then we get to the New Testament where we see now God's presence becomes available to all people at all times. And so let's look, let's go first to the person of Jesus because God's presence comes in such a powerful way through the person of Jesus because we've got God coming down to earth in human form. We call that incarnation, God made flesh, God in a human body. And so one of the names that Jesus is given is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's here, he's among us. And part of what Jesus does when he comes is now he's gonna bring us back to God. He's gonna restore us into God's presence by removing the barrier of sin. That thing which keeps us apart from God, his sacrificial death means that that barrier can be removed. And then Galatians 2.20 says that Christ's death and resurrection means I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ in me. I mean, that's God's presence in a whole different way. Now we have it available and accessible right in us. And then after his death and resurrection, he doesn't just leave us, no. He says, I'm gonna send you the Spirit. And so let's read in John 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. That word advocate means another like me, another of me to be with you. I'm going, but I'm gonna send another just like me. The advocate will help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And last week, Ryan read from Ephesians 2. Let's just pick that up. It said, in him, in Jesus, the cornerstone, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Can you see the whisper there of the temple, the tabernacle? You are the temple, you become the tabernacle, you become the dwelling place where God lives by His Spirit. I mean, that's amazing. (laughs) And then if we go right to the end of the Bible, to Revelations, we get this picture in Revelation chapter 21. And it's a new heaven and a new earth. The whole of kind of earth has collided with heaven. And so it's almost Eden again, but it's expanded and it's all inclusive. And what God's saying is, I'm making this beautiful place, a new heaven and a new earth where I can be with my people eternally and continually. They will enjoy my presence eternally and continually. That's what we long for, that day when we get to be in God's presence eternally and continually. And so this kind of brief overview through these like six aspects shows God's heartbeat. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be in His presence. He wants His presence to mark us and to differentiate us. This is us. We're a people who have the promise of God's presence with us. We're a people who have the privilege of God's presence with us. And I'm just trusting today that that sinks in, like freshly. (laughs) We are a people of God's presence 
That's an incredible privilege. And let it fill us with kind of awe and wonder and appreciation again today. And if you're here, maybe you're checking out Christianity and you're trying to figure it out, then this is at the heart of what we believe. There's a God who wants to be with us. And so he does everything in his power to make a way for us to be in his presence. He wants us to be brought back into his presence and so he sends Jesus. And it's not about us now earning our way and earning his approval and acceptance through keeping some rules and regulations. No, it's about relationship, relationship with Jesus that then brings us back into a restored relationship with God. The word religion comes from this Latin word religio, which, which means obligations to the gods. So it was humans kind of trying to reach these divine beings. How can we kind of reach up? What can we do? How can we earn their favor and their approval? And then what we see in Christianity, no, God reaching down to us to restore us to relationship with him. So the gospel is not just a rescue plan. It doesn't just rescue us from our sins and the consequences of sin. It doesn't just keep us out of hell. No, the gospel is a restoration plan where we are now in a restored relationship with God and he fulfills the deepest ache of our souls because we are in his presence. And that's amazing. So let's move to the second point, that this promise of his presence is also an invitation. And it's an invitation to proximity, to proximity. And we see this especially in the person of Jesus because his invitation to his followers is come, come and be with me, come and be in proximity, come and be close to me. When Jesus chooses 12 people, he's basically choosing 12 people to spend a lot of time with him. That's what it means to be a disciple. So let's read from John chapter one where he does some of that. Picking it up in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And so the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, come, follow me. And so we see here, what's Jesus inviting them to do? Come, come and be with me. Come and see where I'm staying. Come and spend the day with me. Come with me while I travel to Galilee. Come and be with me. This Hebrew word for disciple is a word Talmud, and it stresses the relationship between the rabbi, which Jesus is called the rabbi, the teacher, the master, and the disciple, the apprentice, the student. And in Jesus's day, it wasn't like a knowledge thing. It wasn't just about knowing about the rabbi and just kind of a transfer of information. No, it was learning to be like the rabbi. And so the goal was imitation. You wanted to imitate your rabbi's life and lifestyle. That's what it means to be a disciple. You didn't follow from a distance. It wasn't just like today where you you follow someone on Twitter or Instagram and they might live hundreds of kilometers away and you go, oh, I'm following you. No, this in those days you literally physically relocated and went and spent time with your rabbi. 
And one writer describes it like this, you are um, being covered in the dust of your rabbi. I mean, that's proximity. You're covered in the same dust as your rabbi. And so let's take a moment to imagine what this would have been like. And if you find it easier, you might wanna close your eyes and picture this. Imagine being one of those early disciples. Imagine being Andrew or Peter or John or even Mary. Mary was one of the women who was often alongside Jesus, spent a lot of time with him. Imagine you walking next to Jesus. They walk everywhere. (laughs) And as you walk next to him, you notice he has quite an unhurried pace. It's slow, and so you have to learn to slow down your pace. Jesus never seems to be in a rush, and you learn to match your stride with his. You notice Jesus often stops to talk to people. He doesn't mind being interrupted. He's got time for people. The Pharisees come with tricky questions. He answers them. Someone comes, wants to have a conversation. He talks to them. Someone comes with a need. He prays for them. He heals them. So you start to be open to interruptions. You start to pray. Your faith begins to grow because you see people being healed. But you also notice Jesus is very ordinary. He's very human. He spends a lot of time sleeping. He loves a good nap. Often in the weirdest places, in the middle of a lake, in a boat, in a storm, you have to go wake him up because you need him. You need his help. And you spend lots of time eating with him. He spends a lot of time in people's homes, laughing and eating and having conversation. And they're not the kind of people you would expect him to be with. Yes, he's with his family, he's with his friends, but he also hangs out with a lot of odd people, unexpected people, unusual people. So you start to kind of look beyond appearances when you meet people. You start to take time to be with people. You wake up in the morning, maybe the ground's hard, you've slept on the road, you've been traveling, and you notice Jesus isn't there. No, he's gone up the mountain, he's gone to pray. He's gone to be with his his father. And when he comes back from these prayer times, what do you notice? Oh, he, he really seems to be at peace. And he's got a sense of direction for the day. He says, oh, I'm gonna be about my father's business today. And you have to change all your plan and your itinerary and your to-do lists because maybe you're going in a different direction. Imagine being next to him in synagogue, listening to him pray, listening to him worship, spending that Sabbath day with him, He slows, he rests, he enjoys that Sabbath break. Day in, day out, you're with him. You notice what he says, you notice what he does, you notice what he doesn't do. That's being a disciple. That's being covered in the dust of your rabbi. You can open your eyes if they're still closed. (laughs) And what's the result of this? So if we look at the book of Acts, Jesus has now died, and these disciples are in action in the book of Acts. They're starting churches. They're starting to live out the mission of what Jesus has told them to do. And so we read in chapter four, a few of these early church leaders are brought before the council, and they're accused of like filling the city of Jerusalem with this gospel message and turning the city upside down. And it says, chapter four, verse 13, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus and it had an impact. It made a difference. They had been with Jesus. When last did someone say that about you? Oh, you've been with Jesus, haven't you? I can tell, you're different. It's had an impact. Because that's what this discipleship, that's what this apprenticeship was, it can be summed up in, time with. Time with the rabbi. How much time do I spend with the rabbi? 
And obviously it looks different today. We don't get to physically walk alongside Jesus. But when we open our word, there he is in action. And we see what he said and we see what he did and we can learn from him. Through prayer, we get to talk to him. We can still be with him. And remember that promise from John 14. Says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you. He will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He lives with you, he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And so this is how Jesus says, you get to be with me, I give you the spirit. The spirit is in you, the spirit is with you forever. You're not an orphan, you're not left alone. No, I have sent you a helper. The Spirit is your means of grace. The Spirit draws alongside you. The Spirit is at work in you to help you be more like Jesus. And so we learn to live in awareness of the Spirit, in alignment to the Spirit, in connection with the Spirit. This connection, this communion with the Spirit um, was described beautifully by Brother Lawrence. So this is Brother Lawrence, or a depiction of him, I guess. And you can see he's a monk. He's a 15th century monk. um, And he devoted his life to what he called the practice of the presence of God. The practice of the presence of God. And his role in the monastery was very unglamorous. He wasn't leading the prayers or chanting. No, he was in the kitchen. He was the dishwasher. But he wrote this. He said, the time of busyness does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. So the blessed sacrament is taken early in the morning in the monastery, that's how they would begin the day. The monks would come and they would have the bread and the wine and pray, it's kind of this holy moment. And he's saying, yes, I'm aware of God in that moment but I'm as aware of him in the chaos of this kitchen and the noise and the clutter and the distraction. I'm practicing proximity. I'm practicing this connection with God. So let's look at the final part, the practice of being in his presence. Because being in his presence is something we have to practice. And remember, practice is not gonna make perfect, but practice helps make permanent. That as we practice these things and we do them over and over again, we live in more of an awareness of God and more connected with the Spirit. It takes a lifetime, but it does take some intentionality. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He's a great writer, particularly around the themes of discipleship. He says, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits. They are not the law of gravity. They can be broken. And a new graceful habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. And soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. And that's a beautiful picture, our minds being directed and redirected to God. But it's hard. (laughs) And I wanna touch on just four things that make it really hard. So the first one is what I call like the season we're in. We're emerging out of this kind of post-COVID era. And one thing I've noticed is it is busy. So every single person I've spoken to has just said, yo, the first three 
months of 2022 have been crazy because everything's back to full capacity, work and school and social life and sport and everything's happening and it's go, 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 go. It's busy. And so maybe we had created great rhythms and habits in COVID when it was a bit quieter, but suddenly those things are now being challenged and they're being pressed on and pressed out because of the season we find ourselves in. The second thing is technology. Ooh, technology. Tech, we live in a distraction-rich world, and your device is designed to distract you. It is there to take your time and take your attention. We're always connected, always on, always available, and so technology robs us of time and energy and attention. Then thirdly, the culture that we live in makes it hard. John Mark Homer summed it up when he, really well when he said this, we live in a noisy, busy world that does violence to the soul. And so the things that we're trying to practice, being still, being quiet, well, that's fighting against a noisy world. That sense of being unhurried, being slower, well, that fights against a busy world. <laughs> and making space to care for your soul is countercultural because we live in a world that does violence to our soul. And so all these things that we are trying to do and practice and become a habit, they are countercultural. And so that makes it hard because we're fighting upstream. <laughs> and then finally, our human nature makes it hard because we're human. And so we do tend towards laziness and procrastination and a bit of complacency and, oh, maybe I'll try that next week. And also we're human, so there are things in us that are incompatible with the presence of God. And so we know that as we come into His presence, there are certain things that are gonna be revealed. Our sin, maybe our worship of lesser things, and as those things are revealed, they are confronted, they are challenged. That's hard, <laughs> that's soul work. It's much easier to just watch another episode of Netflix. <laughs> that's much less hard work. <laughs> but this is us. Okay, we're a people who love the presence of God, and so we practice being in His presence. It's an absolutely essential element of what we do, and so we encourage ourselves, and we encourage each other individually, corporately, we're gonna get into the presence of God. And they're practices, they're a means to an end. It's not just, okay, had my quiet time, tick, read the Bible, tick, prayed seven prayers, tick. You know, we're not doing it as a to-do thing. No, we do it because it helps us be with Jesus. Sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines and that's kind of got a connotation of duty or obligation. I love the word spiritual practices. They're practices, they're things we do, they're verbs. And as we do them, we get to experience, we get to encounter, we get to enjoy God's presence. And so we personally practice some habits, some rhythms. They connect us to God. So here are some personal practices, and you've heard these a gazillion times from this stage. So prayer. Prayer is a practice where we practice the presence of God. For some people, it's like a, what's called like the daily office where you spend a specific time, a set time, praying through things. Other people, it's kind of more conversational prayer. So I know someone who sets the kind of vibrate function on their watch and it goes off at different times during the day. And whatever they do, in a meeting, at the computer, on the phone, as it goes off, it just reminds them, it redirects their mind towards God. God's here, God's with me. Let me become aware of His presence again. I know someone who does that whenever they fill the kettle. They go, God, won't you fill me again in this moment? Just these little reminders that help people, that help us be aware of God. Another practice is silence and solitude. 
It's hard to do that, to be quiet, to be still. Reading scripture daily, setting aside time to be with God, to be in his word. So I asked a bunch of people, won't you send me a picture of where you have your daily devotional time? So here they are, a kitchen, um, the next one. That's a beautiful view. It's quite easy to see God there, hey? <laughs> a garden, there's Kate out and about in nature. That's where she connects with God. In the car, that's where someone can find their little space. <laughs> they drop the kids off and then they sit there. <laughs> that becomes their space. Um, the next one is my spot. That's where I try and meet with God most mornings on the patio, like to be outside in the fresh air. It's an ordinary place, but it becomes the set apart place, <laughs> the sacred time of just meeting with God, prioritizing it, practicing that habit. Some days you feel like it, some days you don't. Some days God speaks, some days you can't even remember what you read, but you do it and you practice it. And then the last two, fasting, we've heard a lot about that today, I'm not gonna say much more, the flyer's got a lot more details, and then Sabbath keeping, keeping that rhythm of each week, practicing the Sabbath. We've preached about that a few times, so I'm not gonna touch on that now. Those are the personal ones, but then as a community, there are also some family practices because there's some things that we do together. And as a family, as a community, we do it together because we can't get it all on our own. God manifests himself in a unique way when we are together. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. Now it's not saying he's not with you when you're on your own. We've just explored how he's with us all the time. But something special happens when we gather as the people of God. God comes and in scripture over and over again, we see God's spirit is powerfully like moves and works. Things happen when God's people gather together. And so we see these profound expressions of God's presence as we gather as his people. And so that's why as a church, there are family practices. Sunday gathering is a practice. Life group, prayer gatherings, worship gatherings. This week, that's what we're gonna do. Corporate fasts, retreats, camps, weekends away. They are family practices. They build relationship in the family, sure. It's a great way to like, build that bond of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. But they are also unique opportunities for us to be with Jesus together. And so as we come to those times, we expect his presence to break in. We expect to meet with him. We expect to hear from him when we open up his word. We expect to be freshly fueled by God's presence. So I'm gonna end with just kind of two practical thoughts because there's a long-term and there's a short-term. Long-term, that's your whole life, okay? Long-term, we wanna become more like Jesus. We wanna spend time with him. John Mark Homer puts it like this. Simplify your life to what matters simply or slowly cut out all the extra unnecessary activities and gradually add in the practices of Jesus. Oh, that sounds so simple, hey? Let's do that. No, that's gonna take a lifetime. Just doing that's gonna take a lifetime. But we take the template of Jesus. He's, he's modeled for us these practices and we go, okay, right now in my season, taking into account my wiring and my personality, taking into account what, what are the things I'm carrying at the moment, what is my capacity, what of these practices are gonna be life-giving to me? And I'm gonna identify them and I'm gonna start to practice them. And then short-term, what's your next step? Because the one's gonna take forever, but what could you do today? <laughs> what could you do this week that is gonna help you practice the presence of God? 
And so we've put together a mailer of resources that's gonna hit that WhatsApp channel. And if you're not on that WhatsApp channel, you wanna get on that because that mailer is gonna be full of great resources that we hope just spark something in you. So maybe it's to set aside time for silence and solitude. Tomorrow is a public holiday. What a perfect day to carve out 90 minutes, two hours, whatever, to go and be with God. And we've put together a resource. It's actually something we did with our staff at the beginning of the year. We went on a staff time away, and the second morning that we were there, we carved out time. We said, here, go and be with Jesus. Follow this. It's a, a guideline of how to do that. You might need that. You might just want to go and be with Jesus. But if you want an idea of some things to read and pray through, it's there. Maybe that seems, whoa, that's a bit long. So why don't you start by just this week trying to get up 10 minutes earlier. Make a cup of coffee, and then as long as it takes you to drink that coffee, just sit. Just be, breathe. Begin your day in God's presence. Maybe you wanna read a psalm. Maybe you wanna pray, but just 10 minutes, becoming more aware of God's presence. Maybe the first thing you need to do is take out your phone, and you go to that app that tracks your screen time, huh? and you, you go past the apps that you have to have for work, and then you find that first app that is sucking your time. Is it News 24? For Alan Gibbon, it's Wordle. For me, it's the stupid block game that, anyway. And you delete that app, hey? And you just get rid of that, and suddenly you've got all that extra time in your life. Or maybe you wanna download an app that's gonna help you. So I use the Lectio app. Um, it's a kind of a daily devotional. It reads, um, kind of, you pray through scripture, you get into scripture. At the moment, we're on a journey kind of heading towards Easter. And I've just found this so helpful. It gives me a lovely framework. You can pause when you want to. It's got a nighttime prayer as well. So at the end of the day, because often I find the end of the day I'm a little bit frazzled, and you just listen to the nighttime prayer and it reads scripture over you and you reflect on your day and you pray. They've also brought out a great app for families. And so if you are looking for something to do as a family, you can maybe check out that app. This week we're gonna be praying, we're gonna be fasting. If you've never fasted, join us. If you've never come to a worship night, come along. Maybe you need a kickstart in your devotional life. So uh, we've put together a number of devotional booklets over the years. At the involvement desk, we've got a couple of extra copies if you wanna pick one up. It's a small donation. I think it's 20 Rand suggested donation. And then in the mailer, we've sent you our, our devotional through the book of Esther. So it's a 28-day journey. From today until Easter Sunday is 28 days. So Esther could take you to Easter, eh? You can do it, 28 days with Esther. And it's an amazing story, it's an adventure story. Corrupt politicians, kings, God's purposes being fulfilled. It's better than anything you can find on Netflix, I promise you. Okay, let me wrap up. Today, this is what we've looked at. We've looked at the promise and privilege of God's presence. His presence with us, that's what marks us, that's what makes us His people, that's what sets us apart. We get to be fueled by His presence. And we've looked at how that's cultivated in proximity as we are close with, as we spend time with, as we connect with the Spirit, and how we have to practice that. And that practicing the presence of God requires practice. So we're gonna land by reading from a psalm. Um, I've been amazed, living in a topic, you, you, you see it everywhere, and I've been amazed how in the Psalms there are these beautiful reminders of God's presence. The band's gonna come up, and this is a Psalm written by David, and he says this, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. 
No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Let's, let's stand, because this psalm is reminding us that we are granted the joy of his presence. So we've, we've closed a little bit earlier because we wanna do that now. We wanna enjoy his presence together. We wanna come expectant. We're the people of God. We're marked by his presence. As we create time now to be with him, he will come and be with us. So let's pray and then we're gonna worship. God, we thank you for just reminding us today that as your people, we are marked by your presence. It's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful privilege. We don't wanna take it for granted and we invite you, we come expectant now that you will be here. You will meet with us. The Psalm reminds us you are right with us. You will fill us with the joy of your presence. And so do that now we pray, amen.